The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Well, this morning we are in Hebrews chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, would you join me there? And we're back onto the subject that the writer of Hebrews left off of way back in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10. That's where he stopped on this topic of Christ Jesus being uh, the better high priest and that he is a high priest after the order of this mysterious Old Testament figure of Melchizedek being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's chapter 5, verse 10. And then the writer went on a lengthy parenthetical break that we've been in for a number of weeks where he um, both warns and encourages and instructs his hearers in their laziness, in their spiritual immaturity, and the possibility of apostasy, and the promises of God. And now, he is back into this topic of Christ Jesus as high priest. And he does so by the, the use of comparison. Um, comparison is a, a, an effective tool of description, isn't it? To say that someone is like someone else helps you understand who that person is. Even if you've never met them or you didn't know anything about them, if you compare them to someone that you know something about, it helps inform you who that person is. Who that person is. And so it is by the, the means of comparison that we can say much about a person with only a few words. This is what the writer of Hebrews is, is doing here. And, and he does so masterfully. My, my undergraduate degree was in uh, rhetoric, um, argumentation and, and debate, rhetorical studies. This is a, this is a master class on um, persuasion through rhetorical means. He is, the writer is taking a person who, to the Jew, that's who he's writing here, to, to the Jew would have been the greatest that had ever lived, Abraham. And he's making a series of comparisons to show how much better Jesus is. Um, and it really is a it's a it's a it's a brilliant series of arguments here. And so here's sort of the flow through the text this morning. Um, not necessarily point one, point two, point three, but but you you get the sense as, as we move through. This is this is this is what we see in the text. We see the greater, we see the lesser, and we see the better. The greater, the lesser, and the better. Hebrews chapter 7, this morning, all the way to verse 19. For this Melchizedek, king of 
Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take the tithes from the people. That is, from their brothers. Through these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case... Tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestors when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, For under it, the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arrive after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. The writer of Hebrews is doing here is he's showing the the superiority of Christ, the, the, the greatness of, of Christ, the superiority of his priesthood and the superiority of his covenant over Old Testament priesthood and Old Testament covenant. And he's doing so by showing that as great as Abraham was, And in the Jew, he was the greatest. I mean, this is the one from whom the whole thing started. As great as Abraham was, in Abraham's day, 
there was one who was greater, and it was Melchizedek. And that Christ Jesus comes in the same line of priests as Melchizedek, who was greater than Abraham. So his priesthood is greater than the Aaronic priesthood through the law of the Old Testament. We'll explain all this. And therefore, his covenant is, is better. That's, that's what these, these verses are, are doing here. And so he uses one of the most mysterious figures in the Old Testament. As, as Jacob mentioned, um, there's, there's only three places in the Bible where this Melchizedek is mentioned. Um, Genesis chapter 14, we first meet him. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God's, of God Most High. And he blessed him and he said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and be blessed. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. That's, that, that, that's really it in, all, in the scriptures. That's, that's where we meet Melchizedek. That's what Melchizedek does in the scriptures. That's it. Then there's a thousand years of nothing mentioning Melchizedek until Psalm 110, which we read. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. This is what the Lord has sworn. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is this great messianic prophecies that we, that we read. And then a thousand, then nothing else. And then a thousand years later, Hebrews chapter 7. And so there's, there's a lot of... Um, speculation about who Melchizedek is. And some say that, that Melchizedek is Shem. He was Shem. So he's the, one of the sons of Noah. Um, though if he was Shem, there would have been no reason for Moses not to say that he was Shem in writing Genesis. Probably not Shem. Some would say he's an angel. Or some would say he's a a pre-incarnate Christ, who's literally Christ pre-incarnate before the incarnation in the Old Testament. Now, certainly wasn't Shem. Moses would have said if he was Shem. Um, there's no reason to believe he was an angel. And he isn't the pre-incarnate Christ because Hebrews um, tells us that he resembled Christ. Not that he was Christ. So who was he? Well, he was a real man. He was a real man who serves as a type of Christ, a type of Christ. We talk about this all of the time here, the, the use in the Old Testament especially of typology, where you have an, an Old Testament illustration of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, right? So it's an Old Testament picture, an Old Testament illustration of the, of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us here when he says he resembled Christ. That he was a real man who lived at a real time in a real place 
and, and was a real priest and a real king. But he was, in the Old Testament, a, a foreshadowing, a type of Christ that is to come. Because he was both a king and a priest. All right, so the, the writer of Hebrews tells us, and um, Moses tells us in, in Genesis 14, that he was the, the king of Salem. The king of Salem. That is the king of Jerusalem. That the, during Abraham's day, there were, there were lots of these little fiefdoms all around, and everybody had their own little land and their own little place where, and their own kings. And this man, Melchizedek, was the king of Jerusalem. But he was also a priest of the Most High God. And this is, this is, this is really interesting. Uh, but, you know, we don't think of Jerusalem in the terms that we think of Jerusalem now, as in the, you know, the, the promised land, the city of God, the, the place where Christ was, the place where Christianity began. You know, we associate Jerusalem with those things. No, it's just, this is before all of that. This is, this is pagan land. And there's, there's no law given. There's, there's not, none of that yet. And yet here is this man, Melchizedek, who is both a king and a priest of the Most High God. It's the first mention of a priest. Before the priesthood was even given through the law to Moses, here is this man, Melchizedek, who is both king and priest. In the law, there always was a separation between the king and the priest in the Old Testament Israel. You never had a king and a priest who were the same person. You had a line from whom the king would come, Judah. You had a line from whom the, the priest would come, that's, that's Aaron, Moses' brother, through the, the line of, of Levi. You never had a king and a priest who were the same person. But here is this figure, Melchizedek, before that law was given, serving as both a king and a priest, because he was worthy of these things. He was worthy of these things. The writer of Hebrews says of him, he was the king of righteousness and the king of peace. That this is the, the literal translation of his name. That he was Melech, which is king, and Tizedek, which is righteous. That's what his name means. He is, by his name, first king of righteousness and the king of peace, or Salem. He is both the king of righteousness and the king of peace, this man, Melchizedek. It also says of him in some, some mysterious language in verse 3 that he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues forever. There's been a lot of people who have 
read a lot into that, that. And they believe that this is why he is an angel or this is why he is a pre-incarnate Christ, that he, he had no parents. He just, there he was and he never died. He's lived on for forever. But that isn't what these um, verses mean. This just simply means that there is no recorded genealogy of this man Melchizedek. That's important because what do you find all throughout the Old Testament? Genealogies. They matter because lineage, line, tribe matters. This one begot this one, begot this one, begot this one, begot this one, and you can trace it, right? And all through the Old Testament, you have, you have births and you have deaths. And even if you don't have the, the birth, you certainly have the death of all of these important Old Testament figures, except Melchizedek. There's no record of genealogy. There's no record of birth. There's no record of death. He appears, Genesis 14, just a few verses. As mysteriously as he shows up, king and priest, he's gone again. There's, there's no record here. There's no, there's no parents. There's no lineage. There's no genealogy. There's no beginning of his days. There's no birth given. There's no end of his life. There's no death given. And so he remains, therefore, a priest forever in the terms that we have no death recorded of him. It's not that he didn't die, but we don't have it recorded. In, in, the, in the biblical narrative, there is a continuation of his priesthood because it never came to an end. It started... And never ended. See, in the, in the, in the priesthood descending from, from Aaron, there was always a, a clear beginning for a priest. Began when he was 25. And there was always a clear end to the priesthood. It ended when he turned 50. But not the case for Melchizedek. There's no genealogy. See, in the, in, in, in the law, in the Aaronic, Levitical priesthood, we say Levitical from Levi, there, there's always the necessity of genealogy or, or lineage. I mean, Ezra chapter 2, verse 62, you have these, these Levites who come to, to bring the, their registration as as being Levites and being able to, to serve as the priesthood. It says, These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there. There was no record of these people. And so because of that, they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. It's not the case with Melchizedek. But the writer's focus here is not on these sort of mysterious aspects of Melchizedek as much as it is his specific interaction with Abraham. And what the writer of Hebrews is, is telling us is that this interaction in Genesis 14 shows who was the lesser and who was the greater, right? For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from slaughter, from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, and said to Abraham, 
And to to him, Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. That's what he says. This man Melchizedek meets Abraham as he returns from the slaughter of all of these kings, freeing his, his nephew Lot. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives to Melchizedek a tenth of everything. Abraham gives to Melchizedek a tithe. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is is that this is Abraham recognizing the greatness of Melchizedek. That this is Abraham in giving the tithe to Melchizedek. This is Abraham recognizing Melchizedek as the priest of God. This this happens before the law on Sinai is given. It shows us that the priesthood was in operation before the Levitical order was established. And it is Abraham realizing that it was God who gave him the victory over these kings. And that what he had and this tithe belonged to God and was given to God through his priest. That's what, that's what the, the writer of Hebrews is, is saying here. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. Saying, look how great Melchizedek was. Even Abraham realized that he was greater than him because he gave Melchizedek the tithe. Melchizedek didn't give it to Abraham. Even though it was Abraham who had received the promises of God, here is Melchizedek, the priest, Abraham realizing this man greater than me, serving as a priest of the Most High God, and to him I give a tenth of everything. And then he he goes on sort of a, a line here of what that means, right? And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take the tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. Right? So part of the, part of the priestly duty was to receive the tithes from the people. They were all from the same line. But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham... And blessed him who had the promises. But this man wasn't from the Levitical order. It was outside of that. And yet here's Abraham giving him the tithe. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. This is is the, the culture there that the the superior person blesses the inferior person because an inferior can't bless a superior. The superior blesses the 
inferior. And who blessed who? Melchizedek blesses Abraham. It's without dispute then that Melchizedek is the greater and Abraham the lesser. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives the tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. In other words, because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, it is like all of Abraham's descendants paying tithes to Melchizedek. Because he was greater than Abraham. He was greater than Levi. He is the greater. Abraham is the lesser. The ones, according to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the law, who were charged to receive the tithes, in a sense, paid the tithes to Melchizedek. The writer is using this moment in history, around 2,000 years before this, to show that there was one who was even greater than Abraham, and he was a priest, and he was a king. He was a type of Christ, this man, Melchizedek. And that it is from this royal priestly line that Christ Jesus has become our better high priest. You see, he isn't just simply exalting Melchizedek. That's not, his, that's not the end point here. It's just a means in the argument. Because his heart is to show these, these Jewish readers that Jesus is better. That his priesthood is better. And they would say, but he can't be a priest because he's not a, a Levite. So he can't be a priest. He's from Judah. He can't be a priest. He could be a king. He can't be a priest. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 no. His priesthood supersedes the Levitical priesthood. Because his priesthood isn't tied to the Levites. His priesthood is in the order of Melchizedek, who was even greater because he blessed Abraham and he received tithes from Abraham. And it is from Melchizedek, who was both king and priest, that Christ has received his priesthood. And because Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, Jesus and his priesthood is better than the Levitical priesthood. That's the argument. You see it? Abraham the lesser, Melchizedek the greater, Jesus the even better. This is the, the shift. So this, this first part of the argument is these 10 verses. And then the shift in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arrive, arise after the order of Melchizedek, 
rather than one named after the order of Aaron. He's saying, listen, if through the law, if through the line of Aaron, if through the Levitical priesthood that was established in the old covenant, if through that we were able to get to perfection, then we wouldn't have needed another way. But what history has shown is that perfection could never be reached through the old covenant. Perfection could never be reached through the law. Perfection could never be reached through these these priests. And so God has brought another priest through another line. But that leaves us a couple of questions here. The first question is, what is perfection? Right, if perfection could be reached, are we, are we talking moral perfection here, as in no wrong at all? What do we mean by perfection? Well, what the writer means by perfection, because he tells us in verse 19, what we mean by perfection is the, is the very thing that the priest was charged with. The role and the function of the priest. What is the role and the function of the priest? It was, namely, to give access to God. That's what they did. They came before God on behalf of the people to offer sacrifices so that the people could have access to God. That is perfection. Perfection is when we have access to God. This was never attainable through the old covenant priesthood. There was was no continual acceptance, access before God. Why? Because the priests were sinful. They had to offer a sacrifice of their own before they could offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And they had to do it over and over and over and over and over again. There There was no permanent access this is, this is 19. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. That's access. Under the Levitical priesthood, and in correlation with the Levitical priesthood, the law, this perfection could never be attained. There could never be full access to God Because it has its limitations. What was its main limitation? Its main limitation was sin. And so there has arisen another priest. One from outside the order of Aaron. One from the order of the great Melchizedek. One who is able to bring full access to God. One who is able to bring perfection. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The old covenant, the law, and the priesthood associated with it only covered sin. It could never remove sin. Permanent access could only come through Jesus Christ. 
permanent access only through a new priest and a new covenant. Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a uh, reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. We need a new covenant. We need a new, different kind of priest. We need a better priest, a better covenant, a better sacrifice, a better hope. And so consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. This is is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to show them. That what, what was put in place in the Old Testament through the old covenant through the law could never accomplish perfection. And so God made another way, a better way through a better priest. And that this isn't some radical shift, some radical change, like like God put these things in motion and then years down the road went, oh, this I guess isn't working as good as I thought it was going to work. i got to figure something else out. No, that all along God had planned it this way. And that He had put these things in place to be types and shadows of what is to come in Christ Jesus. And that God's plan all along was to bring a new priest and a new covenant in Jesus Christ. This isn't just New Testament. This is Old Testament. Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I'll write it not on tablets of stone, but I will put it in them. I'll write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Here's the covenant. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. This is the covenant that Jesus serves under as our priest. And now there is no longer the Levitical priesthood. There is a better one and there is a better covenant. And there's a better hope. Verse 12, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. 
What's the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying that Jesus' priesthood isn't just some add-on to the Levitical priesthood. Right? They're being drugged back into this Levitical order, this Levitical priesthood. And he's saying, listen, Jesus isn't just an add-on to the Levitical priesthood. No, this is a whole new one. The old priesthood and the laws and the ceremonies that surrounded it, the old covenant, it is gone. And in Jesus, all things are new. Now, I've used this language of covenant a lot, and I wonder, do we know what we mean when we say it? Old covenant, new new covenant. Or is this just another way of saying Old Testament, New Testament? I want to be clear. A covenant, a covenant is, is the terms of a relationship. And so when we use that language biblically, what we're saying is that the covenant is how God has ordained that we relate to Him. That makes sense? So in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was how we related to God. How we related to Him was through the law, in keeping the law, keeping the ceremonies, keeping the moral law, keeping the, the, the priesthood, keeping all of, all of, of this set explanation for how we relate to God. That's what a covenant is. There's an old covenant. This is how you relate to me through these priests descending from Aaron and and Levi, keeping the law, keeping the ceremonies, keeping the washings, keeping the sacrifices. That's how you relate with me. That's the old covenant. And God put it in place to show us that we desperately need a new covenant. That we need a new way of relating to Him. Because the old way was never enough. Because the old way never gave perfection. The old way never dealt once and for all with sin. We can't have permanent access in the old covenant, through the old ways. We need a new way. We need a new covenant. We need a new way to relate with God. And so that's what God is doing in Christ Jesus, is He's showing there is a whole new way for you to to relate with me. And it's not through keeping a law. It's through grace. It's not temporary. It's permanent. It's not external, written on stone. It's internal. Your heart has changed. Your sins are forgiven. I remember them no more. There is a new covenant because there is a new priest, and he is better. Now, that is not to say that the old covenant was bad. It wasn't bad. It was good. It was good. 
It showed us things that we needed to see. It showed us God's righteousness. It showed us our sin. It showed us how seriously he took it. The old, the old covenant is good. It comes from God and it is good. So when we say that the new covenant is better or the new priesthood is better or Jesus is better, it's not to say one is bad and one is good. No, the old is good, but to say Jesus is better is just to exalt Him all the more. If that was good, how much better is He? This is what Christ has done. Say Jesus is better is to exalt Christ, not to diminish the law. Verse 13, for the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So he's, he's anticipating an argument here. He can't, Jesus can't be priest. He's not a Levite. He said, man, it's clear he's, he's not a Levite. He's, he's from Judah, and no one's ever said anything about a priest being from Judah. This is how serious genealogy is. Uh, if you, if you want to read it, go read it. Second, or, Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles 26. Um, King Uzziah wants to come before the Lord. But he's not the priest. So he can't. The priests try to hold him back. But they don't. And Uzziah, who is the king, comes into the altar. And what happens he is struck with leprosy. This is, how serious, this is how serious genealogy was. He's saying, sure, it's true that Christ comes from Judah. He's not from the line of Aaron. I understand that. And all that matters unless he comes from a greater priestly line. Verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent. That is his, his lineage, right? This is Ezra, you come, you prove, here I am, this is where I come from, this is my line, this is my lineage, I'm able to serve as priest because of it. Christ does not come on that basis. No, he comes by the power of an indestructible life. He was made our great high priest because he was raised from the dead. He was made our great high priest because he suffered all these things and he died and he rose again and he has ascended into heaven. And he has now, according not to his genealogy, but according to the power of his indestructible life, he's been made our priest forever. Because of his life, there is no end. In the old covenant, there was required external qualifications, your lineage. But in the new covenant, as Christ, our great high priest, it is internal qualifications. 
He is like Melchizedek, king of righteousness. He is like Melchizedek, the king of peace. He, like Melchizedek, has no beginning. He, like Melchizedek, will have no end. And his priesthood is granted to him not based on his lineage, but based on the power of his indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, quoting Psalm 110. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. The law could not remove sin. The law could not give eternal life. The law could not clear your conscience. And so the old has been set aside because it was weak to do these things. It was useless to do these things. It made nothing perfect. We need something better. We need someone better. We need permanent access to God. But on the other hand, verse 19, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Jesus the better priest ushers in a better hope. A hope not in flawed, human, sinful priests. A hope not in the, the blood of bulls and goats. But a hope in the indestructible life of Jesus Christ. The old covenant... There was hope in a flawed priest to grant access. There was hope in keeping the law. These are fleeting hopes. Jesus Christ is better, and the hope he offers is better because it is grounded in his indestructible life. Because in him and his sacrifice and his, his priestly work, true and permanent atonement is available. Perfection is granted. Permanent access is ours because His death doesn't cover sin, it removes it. His resurrection gives eternal life. His Spirit clears your conscience. He is better. Grace is better. It is the better hope. But why would you ever turn to anything else? We only have a few minutes left. But here's our, our takeaway. If Jesus is that much better, why would you... Why would you turn to anything else? If that hope is that much better, why would you hope in other things? Why do you put your hope in your work? 
in your morality and your goodness and your law keeping and your real religiosity and your service at the church. Why, why would you put your hope in those things? There's a better hope in Jesus. And then secondly, what if, what if we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, what if we did evangelism this way? So what's the, what's the writer of Hebrews done? The writer of Hebrews has taken the things, the, the person that, that, that's at the core and the most important in the, in the life of a Jew, a, a Abraham and the law. And he said, you, you have lived your whole life in pursuit of these things. And instead of saying, you're stupid. Instead of saying, you're an idiot. He says, what if I told you? As good as those things are, there's something even better. Like what a whole, what a totally different way to do evangelism, right? Because while we're not surrounded by people who are, who are, who are, who are living for, you know, old covenant, Old Testament law and uh, works-based righteousness. That, that, that's not what people are pursuing. Everybody is pursuing something, right? And so what if we sh began to communicate and to show through our lives, to communicate with our words? I understand that you are looking and you are seeking after meaning. And you're trying to find it in all these different things. But what if I told you that there is someone better that can give you meaning? What if we looked at the, the purpose that people were, were living their life for? And what if we said, you know what? Those are good things. But what if I told you there is one that's even better Jesus Christ. And this is how He can give you an even better purpose. What if we began to show through our lives that Jesus is better and that the gospel is better and that it's made our lives better instead of looking like the world? Man, we're, we're, we're out of time. I'll tell you one place in particular that this strikes me. And that is in the, the culture and the, the community of homosexuals. who are, are looking for community. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. They, they do community among themselves really, really well. 
and it's it's grounded on acceptance of you know pretty much anything and we're we're sort of living out the dominoes that fall from that now and i i just wonder how many people are driven to that because they couldn't find community anywhere else but that's the place they can find it Well, what if we really began to show that Jesus is better and the community that's based on the gospel is better? It's deeper. It's realer. Because Christ has changed our hearts. And we now no longer live just for ourselves, but we live for one another. What kind of inroads would we begin to make? What kind of inroads would we begin to make if our marriages really were better? And we didn't have the same rate of divorce of non-Christians. Jesus is better. The gospel is better. His hope is better. It's better than all of these other things that everybody's trusting in and believing in. Like the writer of Hebrews, we need to be willing to speak up and say it. And then in our lives, live it. Jesus is better. It's better than Abraham. That's the most important thing. It's better than Abraham. Find the most important thing in people's lives. As you get to know them, as you love them, as you're in community with them, find the most important thing. And then by God's grace, begin to show them Jesus is even better than that. Father, would you help us really and honestly see that you are better. You're better than all of the things we hope in, you're better than all of the things we trust in, you're better than all of the things we seek after, you're better than all of the things that the world thinks gives purpose or meaning, you're better than better than all of those things. You're better than Abraham. You're better than Melchizedek. Your hope is better. Your covenant is better because your sacrifice is better. You and you alone give access to God. No one can come to the Father but through you. You are the only way, a better way. So God, would we live that way? Would we with boldness Share that way with others who need it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.